Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door. I am excited to be with you today, along with uh, Dr. Tom Woodward. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Nick? Uh, I'm good, and I was just going to warn our audience. Uh, we had a baby, my wife and I, just two and a half weeks ago, and we don't really sleep anymore, so if I say anything that doesn't make sense, you know the reason why. Okay, well then, uh, and, and what is that precious baby son's name? His name is Ezekiel, and he is wonderful. Oh, wow. I bet he's just as... Uh... Uh, perfect a baby as you can imagine, although I'm sure he makes uh, little noises at different times of day and night. Yeah, and it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I can remember our baby Karen when she came along. Um, my wife and I were, uh, she was a widow. Her husband had died at age 37. I fell in love with her when I was a student at Dallas Seminary, and then a year and a half after we were married, and uh, that was in 78. So in 79, along comes this cute little red-haired girl, Karen, and Karen is doing well. She uh, lives with her husband and children in Leavenworth, Kansas, and I remember getting up at 3 a.m. to give Karen her bottle. She would go, wah, yeah. and, and my wife said, I'll do it. I said, no, honey, let me do it. So I'd give her the bottle and hold cuddle her in my arm, and she's just sucking away, looking at my eyes. And that was one of my memories of living. That uh, was my last, uh, actually, we just finished Dallas Seminary, and I was teaching at a Christian school in Dallas. And a happy, happy, happy memory in my mind. But uh, speaking of happy memories, we have happy news to report today. And I'd like to call today's program just uh, exciting headlines. Is that okay if I head in that direction? I think that would be wonderful. Well, the exciting headlines is like, I mean, I could go on with like 15 headlines of wonderful uh, developments, even big breakthroughs in evidence for Christianity. Of course, that's the focus of the universe next door. We deal with the uh, question, how do you defend the Christian uh, worldview? The universe, of course, the universe next door has the idea of worldviews based on the fantastic book by James Sire. And we recommend the book highly. Uh, InterVarsity Press produced that, and it's gone through, I think, five editions. And every edition gets better than the one before. And it's the best book as a survey of world religions and major worldviews that are in the arena today, competing for the allegiance of especially the rising generation. But in our, in our defense of the Christian world universe next door, the Christian mental conceptual universe of worldviews, uh, one of the big questions is... Uh, how do you relate to science? You know, is science hostile? Is science a friend to your worldview? And, and when someone asks a Christian, I mean, I, I've heard many people, and I would have said this too when I was a freshman in college. Uh, I've shared many times, and we actually had on last week uh, the, uh, the amazing story of Bill Fay coming to my room, Witherspoon Hall at Princeton University, and sharing the gospel over a period of about three months, maybe four and by the time early May rolled around, the end of my freshman year, I was ready to receive Christ. And I went out of one mental universe, the atheist agnostic uh, worldview I'd held up until that point, and into the Christian 
awesome universe of Christ and all that comes from uh, biblical faith in him and in the triune Godhead. So, um, and the, the whole approach that I, I was trying to think through at that time, you know, is what do you know that's true from the Bible, but also what do you know is true about science? So this big conflict of faith versus science, you know, are they, are they friends and partners or are they foes? And the atheists will often characterize Christianity as a foe, as an enemy, as inherently hostile to science. And they, that's both absurd and historically um, ruled out because the Christian worldview, and historians are, are united on this, the Christian worldview gave rise to science. It was the engine. It was the turbo boost that launched the scientific endeavors of the 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th centuries, which then took off after that in the 17th century with the work of Newton and others as they were hammering out the various laws of physics and chemistry and, and the, the great observations of astronomy even crashing in on science, uh, the shores of science in the 20th century with Einstein and Hubble and the discovery of the expanding universe. and. I was just sharing with my students in our um, universe next door, to speaking of universe next door, we try to relate the Christian worldview to the universe which sits next door, the physical universe. And as I was going through the wonders of astronomy and the discoveries of the last 30 or 40 years, my students were like in awe. I was in awe. We were all together amazed at the power uh, and the beauty and the fit, the perfect fit of many of these verses in the Bible and what we're finding from the world of science. So uh, that's kind of an on-ramp to share that the go-to place to find headline news in science today, in my humble opinion, is this incredible, amazing website called evolutionnews.org. Evolutionnews, just run the two words together, .org. And they have a headline here that uh, when I clicked on the video, it's just four minutes long, a little over four minutes, uh, Casey Luskin's article on this uh, machine that helps to uncoil the, you might say, um, twisted and super coiled kind of gnarled uh, mess of um, the DNA as it is being processed in the cell. It sometimes kind of flips around and gets all coiled up. Uh, Casey Luskin asked the question, have you ever tried pulling computer cords out of a box only to become frustrated with a tangled mess? Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> when I tried to uh, water my side of my house, you know, where we have a little place where we've been some planting some new uh, grass, and I try to put the, the you know, the, the hose back off on the hose holder on the wall of the house, Sometimes I'm just struggling. I'm fighting with the hose because it doesn't want to, you know, loop nicely. It, it gets coiled up, and these little, crazy little loops are shooting up and hitting me in the face. It's really kind of – I almost wish we had a, you know, little digital computer to, to grab the picture of me being slapped in the face by, by, my, <laughs> by my hose outside the house. And I say, come on, down, boy, down, boy. And, and I finally get masked, but I have to like, struggle. I almost feel like cutting the hose in half and saying, okay, right. you know, I'm going to just glue you back together. But this is easier. But yeah. uh, here's, what ha here's what they've discovered. I mean, they discovered these about 30 years ago. But what they just discovered in the last few months that became public knowledge is how these amazing machines uh, that uh, undo the coiling of DNA, how they work. 
and it's called uh, the, the headline really and if you go to evolutionnews.org and just click at the top where you see this multicolored image DNA going through this yellow red and blue funny looking object it almost looks like a saddle that you would put on a horse but it has three parts to it three actually pairs of gates it has an upper gate middle gate and lower gate and this guy has a very interesting name it's topo like t-o-p-o isomerase and that's iso and then marase m-e-r-a-s-e uh, I know when people hear me probably spelling out words and they say, oh, this is the most boring part of your broadcast. But I just I wanted everybody to realize, you know, okay, if I'm going to look this up, it would be helpful to know the spelling. So topo isomerase is the name of this uh, engine. It's called the Enzyme, and they have commissioned Discovery Institute, which heads up evolutionnews.org. Discovery Institute has commissioned their top artist CGI artist to produce this amazing wonder of a video and so anybody listening to the program here's your assignment here's your homework ready to go go to evolutionnews.org and just click on uh, that little image and it will take you to the article and if you just slide down there's a still image and if you slide down right there um, is the I think it's a YouTube yeah it looks like YouTube and Vimeo um, four and a half minute story with a beautiful uh, narration by a British uh, actor and it does a great job of explaining with this topo isomerase grabbing a hold of the DNA cuts it in half holds the two halves brings the section that got coiled up above and brings it through the cut DNA stitches the DNA back together and then moves on to its next supercoiled site to do the same thing and I'm summarizing what is a dazzling I mean your mouth will hang open you might be drooling uh, Nick if you don't watch out so <laughs> uh, it's just really amazing because it involves and this what, what's really amazing is it has a power molecule that comes in ATP and, and explains how that works to keep these gates working together it uh, it has um, you know all kinds of parts to it and you couldn't have a functioning topo isomerase and uh, and all that goes with it unless every single protein in this conglomerate was there together so you can't evolve one protein and just have it hanging around the cell would say this is there's no function for this boot it out of here you have to have all, and I think that it shows six major parts, but I think it's dozens, if you go into the, the fine detail, dozens of proteins. And so it's a multi-part engine that does this very one dedicated job, and that is solving the problem of DNA when it gets all coiled up and tangled and in a mess. Uh, does that not point to intelligent design, my friend Nick Shellman? Yeah, it absolutely does. Okay, and, and it's, I'm just sitting here having my mind blown at just the detail of these things that we had no idea about previously. Absolutely, and uh, does it not bring to mind what Michael Behe, professor of biology, I might add, at Lehigh University, a very prestigious school in eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, Dr. Behe has written on this. Would you agree? I mean, this kind of, of phenomenon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so I think that when when we speak of irreducible complexity, we may think of like the f famous flagellum 
It's built into the back end of many kinds of uh, E. coli and other bacteria. Mm-hmm. And that's a wonder in itself. That has 40 parts. Um, many other kinds of, of working, uh, active, even moving proteins, like the kinesin, which carries on its back um, all kinds of cargo as they go up and down the highways of a cell. Uh, ATP synthase, the energy production center of a cell. And even uh, the protein synthesis inside a ribosome, that particular machine, the most important machine in the cell, has 53, count them, 53 proteins bolted onto the, the external structure to en- en- enable it to do its job. I mean, when it comes to faith, when it comes to science, the science is embracing, it's almost kissing and, and holding up uh, the, the Christian worldview uh, as the winner and gold medal champion. I had to say that in light of the recent Olympics. But I, I think that the, the machines, including the topoisomerase, and like I say, this uh, four-minute, I think in 45-second video, is, uh, will blast you with a blessing. Well, let's, let's shift from a breakthrough in the area of digital rendering and, and re- revelation of, of what God has made to uncoil our DNA. And let's move over to the work of Hal Poe. Now, Hal Poe is a gentleman who teaches at Union University up in uh, Tennessee. Uh, Jackson, I think, Tennessee is the headquarters, the main campus. Uh, Union University Fine School, I believe it's affiliated with uh, the, one of the Baptist denominations. And it's known for its commitment to the truth of God's Word. And Hal Poe, in particular, is one of the world's leading experts on C.S. Lewis. And so he is the one who will be coming on the universe next door in the next uh, two to three weeks. Are you excited about that? Yeah, that would be awesome. Hal Poe has written not only one, but now two biographies of C.S. Lewis. One is the basically the early years, uh, 1898, when C.S. Lewis was born, all the way through his going to the front lines of the British Army uh, during World War One. In 1918, when he was hit by a, a, a torrent of shrapnel, which tore into his body, almost killed him and sent him back to uh, kind of recover at a hospital near London, England. Well, Lewis was an atheist for much of that period, and, and Hal Poe finished that. And then, just uh, in the last couple months, I, I was not aware of this, and we were uh, talking about him coming on the program. He says, oh, you know, have you heard about my volume two? I said, No. So uh, Hal Poe, one of the top experts on C.S. Lewis in the world, has now finished uh, Volume 2. I am ordering it today from Amazon. And um, Volume 2 carries from 1918 all the way through 1945, the end of World War II, and includes Mere Christianity, the the story of all the the taped uh, broadcasts that he did that became the book Mere Christianity, and... By the way, it includes the secret service. Uh, we would use that kind of in the U.S. context for those that help, you know, guard the the president and and also take care of what uh, counterfeit money and stuff like that. But but the uh, uh, the super um, never revealed before service of C.S. Lewis to the British government. What is called MI6? Uh, do I have it right? I think that's what they call I it. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And so Lewis um, 
unbeknownst to all scholars, including Poe, you know, I teach a course on Lewis uh, here at Trinity College every other year. We're in the midst of it right now, having far too much fun. But Lewis, actually, we didn't know this until Hal Poe saw a record. I mean, like, you know, 78 RPM, old-fashioned, the old 1940s style of um, plastic record that was offered for sale, a kind of a a kind of an heirloom, interesting, weird thing, offered for sale on eBay by a collector, basically a dealer of, of trinkets and antiquities in Reykjavik, Iceland. So Hal Poe ordered this. Uh, he actually said, you know, I think it was like $30. He said, well, I don't know what this is. We don't know of any recording of Lewis's voice. It says it's Lewis's voice talking about... The, the British uh, culture and its relationship to Iceland. He says, I'll go ahead and spend $30 to see what this is. So he ordered it, and he received in the mail the only surviving copy of a hitherto unknown recording that MI6 had commissioned Lewis to do in 1940. That is incredible. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, wow. And, and so and I when I was on the phone just, just two days ago, as we were trying to set up uh, our upcoming Universe Next Door interview with Hal Poe, I said, hey, when, when you first brought this to my attention a couple, maybe a year and a half ago, I believe you had said at that point that MI6 denies anything about it. <laughs> yeah, right. He says, well, they've relaxed it a bit. I said, oh, will they, will they open their records uh, and actually give you the second record? He has the side one and three, but the other record, which wasn't with his order from eBay that was shipped to him by air from Reykjavik, uh, Iceland, did not have the second record, which is, you know, size two and four. So he only has half of the recorded lecture on Iceland. By the way, MI6 commissioned this because Iceland had been seized by the British uh, to remain in the hands of the free world when Hitler invaded Denmark. Denmark at that point controlled Iceland. Iceland was a protectorate of Denmark, but Iceland was key to traffic on the North Atlantic during World War II, so they seized it, and yet they felt some rumblings of like opposition from some people, not many, but some. Mm -hmm. So Lewis was commissioned to produce this lecture, in which hundreds of copies supposedly were made and distributed to leadership all across Iceland to show them that their lot, historically, their cultural tie close ties were with England, not Germany. So that was the purpose of the whole project. So I said, so so MI6 still denies? He says, oh, no, no, they moved on a bit. They're, they no longer deny. They, they acknowledge that this was uh, a project, but their, but their uh, records are all sealed. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's 80, uh, what, 82 years ago? What, yeah, what, that's... Isn't that crazy? Well, it's like a different lifetime. And it, it's, I'm, always, uh, I'm always amused at the things that C.S. Lewis was involved in that you'd never know. You'd never know. You wouldn't guess in a million years that he would be. I, I, I said to him, I was on a, a Reykjavik a tour. We were on a, a cruise going to Iceland. And I told the cruise director, I said, did you know that C.S. Lewis, I just mentioned after I appreciated, told him how much I appreciated his uh, excellent work as the cruise director. And this fellow from, from London, just an incredible guy. I just said to him, I said, did you know that, uh, that C.S. Lewis, by the way, was on, in the service uh, of, of Her Majesty's Secret Service, MI6, during World War II? And he said, he, he said what? And he said, yes. And I said, uh, in fact, uh, he, he did this recording, and a, a, a professor, a friend of mine, actually has the only surviving copy. He says, you're kidding me. He says, would you come on to the morning show 
uh, tomorrow morning and tell the whole ship about this. <laughs> and so I wow. had an opportunity to literally uh, tell a couple thousand people on our you know, cruise ship, Princess cruise ship, about the story that Hal Poe had uh, had experienced. And the funny thing is, when uh, when the 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 whole situation came to light, he he tried to talk to other people about it, and everybody was like a clamshell that had shut up for the night, you know. And and so when he, he says, well, at least, he said, at least the MI6 people now are telling me they acknowledge that there was a project that Lewis was working on in relation to Iceland. That's all they'll reveal. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, do you think um, they'll, re- they'll relax that maybe 300 years from now they'll open the yeah. file? <laughs> <laughs> well, or maybe a thousand years from now. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can get more light shed on that pass. But uh, Lewis, of course, uh, was uh, defending mere Christianity. He didn't take the Baptist or the Presbyterian or the Roman Catholic. He himself was Anglican, so puts him over on the border uh, near Catholicism, but he was still technically a Protestant. And, of course, was very evangelical in his attitude toward Christ and the gospel and all things theological. Uh, he, he himself... Um, was very, very robust in his defense of all the creedal aspects of, of a traditional classical Christianity. And, of course, that's why we love him, because he combined that with the intelligence of brilliant analysis of atheism and the problems that it faced, and also the powerful evidence for Christ seen in the claims of Christ, what, what, what Christ actually said about himself. And that is where I think, uh, in, in, along with Hal Poe, I'd like to go back and revisit the claims of Christ and to show that Jesus wasn't just a wise man. He wasn't just a great teacher. He was that. And, and, if, you, and if you think about it, he was that, but infinitely more. And if he was just a wise teacher, he wouldn't be wise. He wouldn't even be a good teacher. Because a teacher who emphasized among the ethical and, and life you know how to live life uh, in a flourishing way. If you, if you, uh, in the middle of that teaching and the core of that teaching, are you misleading people about who you are, and the source of the teaching that is coming from one's own mouth is not just oneself; it's actually coming directly from God. Because Jesus says in so many words, "I have the authority to send prophets. I have the authority to suspend fasting requirements. I have the authority to forgive sin." I have always existed, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And if these were not true statements, and Hal Poe covers this in his new book, um, you know, the second volume of this trilogy. Uh, And so he's basically telling us, um, in so many words, Jesus either was God in human flesh, who laid down his life for us, or he was an awful, almost monster figure who was lying or was insane about the most basic truths as to his own identity. And by the way, all the uh, words of Lewis in that lecture on the recording are actually in second volume. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So you don't have to wait for MI6 permission to, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, 30 or 100 years from now for us to open the files. You can actually get get Hal Poe's book, which I'm doing today. So we're looking forward to that. That's our second headline news. So I'm going to, we're going to have to do another program just on headline news so I can cover my five other headlines. Uh, So, so I just want to thank you 
my dear friend Nick Shalna for doing an amazing job. You have been a fantastic skipper of the ship during the uh, the challenging times of COVID. And I just want to take uh, take off my C.S. Lewis Society hat and thank you for a job well done. Over to you, my brother. Oh well, thank you for for having me be part of this. It's been such an awesome privilege, and I'm I'm grateful for you know all the opportunities. But you know, talking about C.S. Lewis and learning new stories is just always fascinating. I'm so grateful to have been introduced to him early on in my my Christianity. Almost I think it was eight years ago. Uh, but it's just so amazing when you read the words that he wrote, just how impacting they are all this time later. Um, so it really is incredible. Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. And we'll see you back here next week on The Universe Next Door. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door.